You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. That Christ is all we need and that Christ is all we have. All of our hope is in Jesus. Amen? And without his nearness, we are a sinking ship. And so we are uh, incredibly uh, thankful for what Christ has done for us. And we are utterly dependent on that for our every breath and certainly for eternal life. And that is the hope of John. John's hope is that these Things would be written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have uh, life in His name. This is His goal, and it is our goal in studying this passage of Scripture and this entire Gospel, uh, that we would in fact believe the Gospel with all of our hearts. And so last week, um, I was going to have a picture of this on the screen for you, but last week we... I uh, looked at the Good Shepherd and how he leads us. Um, I think it was yesterday, Dylan, uh, maybe the day before that, that he sent us a picture um, over a text group that uh, said that Jesus loves even the dumbest of sheep. And it was this picture of a sheep with a bucket over his head. And uh, and so anyway, I, I'm thankful for uh, the fact that Jesus loves us even in the midst of our wandering um, and so we have a good shepherd. He keeps us, praise God. Um, even in the midst of my wandering and even in the midst of all of my failing, Jesus ultimately secures us in him and no one can snatch us from his hand. Amen. Now, good news this morning. And yet, if we're going to believe that truth, if we're going to hold the, the truth sacred that Jesus keeps those whom he saves... There is another truth that comes underneath that, that's supporting it, that we must also believe, and not just believe, but hold with the same level of regard that we do that truth. And I would say to you this morning that the truth that we're going to see from this passage is one that is largely neglected in the church today. It is a truth that is largely and sadly absent in the lives of so many professing believers and by extension from the church because it's not being taught largely it's also not being lived and yet this is a truth that we must be convinced of if we're going to be convinced of the eternal security of the believer and if we're going to have a a true and right definition of faith at all we must hold this as true it must be our heart conviction and our life confession and without this truth in this passage faith itself does not even exist so what is it well let's look to john chapter 10 and verse 30 and following and see it together this morning if you found your place i want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of god's word 
So we begin together at verse 30. The Bible says, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone Me? The Jews answered Him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If He called them God's to whom the Word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of Him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man is true. And many believed in him there. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that we would see Jesus rightly and who he is. That every clouded vision would be removed by your word. That Holy Spirit, you would lead us into all truth. And I pray that not only would we understand and believe who Jesus is, but that the reality of that truth would be impressed upon our hearts so that we surrender all that we are to Christ. I pray that if there is one here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day of salvation, that you save them by your grace. And I pray that you would receive all glory for that. And Lord, as the saved, would you remind us of who you are in our lives so that we might honor you in the way that we live and so that we might rest in your grace and your mercy in the gospel. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, the first verse, if you were here last week, the first verse in this passage is the last verse that we looked at last week. And so I I did that intentionally this morning because what happens is Jesus makes a final claim uh, from the previous text that, that all of the possibility of all of those things being true rest on this final claim. And then that claim becomes the very subject matter of the very next paragraph as Jesus is explaining himself to these men, these Pharisees, religious leaders of the day. And so what do I mean by that? Well, go back with me, if you will, to verse 27 and and let's just follow the train of logic that Jesus is using here in this passage. Verse 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. That's the claim. And I know them and they follow me. Verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is saying, my sheep hear my voice, they follow me, I give them eternal life and nothing can change that. 
When that's done, it is set in eternal stone. It's going nowhere. No one can snatch them from my hand. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, as we looked at last week, you will continue to follow Jesus and Jesus will hold you secure because he is sovereign in the work of salvation and we can trust him. No one will snatch them out of his hand. The question then is why? And that's what Jesus begins to address. Why is Jesus able to say this? Why is it possible that, that we should believe in, in doubtless confidence that we are safe in Jesus' hand? Well, he says in verse 29, the reason. Because my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's the first claim that Jesus makes. He says, because the God of heaven is keeping you. And these Jews would have had no problem affirming that. That the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah God, was able to keep them. There is no doubt in their minds about that. And the reason they know that is because God has proven Himself time and time again throughout their history that He is greater than all. Can I say to you this morning that there is no one greater than God? That no matter who tries to thwart the plans of God, it cannot happen because God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He reigns supreme over all things. But then Jesus goes further than that. The claim that Jesus is making is not just that God will hold them. His claim is that He will hold them. That's the claim. The claim says, no one will snatch them out of My hand, Jesus says. In other words, He's claiming the very same power of Jehovah God. He's saying, I hold you in my hand with the same security as what God does. Jesus makes this claim before them and then without any apologies, without any hesitation, without any shadow of doubt at all, Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Perhaps the most profound claim in all of the Bible. That this one who was in human flesh is both fully God and fully man in the flesh. That God is in fact, that Jesus rather is in fact God in the flesh. The claim is not that Jesus and the Father are one person. So don't confuse what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that I am God the Father. He is clearly God the Son. There is a distinction made throughout Jesus' ministry that God exists in three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the claim here is not that they are the same person, but that they are one in essence. One in being. They, They share the same character. The same nature. The same sovereign power. In other words... Jesus is God. He's God. And we know that that's the case because of the language here. John has already prepared us for this moment. Remember back in John chapter 5? When Jesus, or rather when John said this was why, he gives this kind of narrative note, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, But he was even calling God his own father and listen to the statement, making himself equal with God. 
We know it from the confession right here in John chapter 10, verse 33. The Jews answered him, is this not for a good work that we uh, it, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus, hear me, Jesus is not like God. Jesus is not a God. Jesus was not a man who became God. Jesus is one with the Father, co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. He and the Father are one. This is the truth that John has had from his from the very beginning, had in his heart for us to hear over and over again. We see it in John 20, verse 31. That we would know that Jesus, know and believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Even from the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was, God, was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All the way through all of the miracles of Jesus, where Jesus is demonstrating this divine power that only He had. All of the claims that Jesus makes from being the I am God to all of these different things that God has promised that the Messiah would be. Jesus has been saying all along, I am God. And without any hint of hesitation, he says to them in the clearest of terms, I and the Father are one. You would think that those who serve God would be happy about this. And yet the Jews are not. The Jews are not happy. These Pharisees, in fact, were deeply angered, the Bible tells us. There's a few things that we need to see about their anger. The question I would have is, why are they so angry about Jesus claiming to be God? Isn't this the best news? What is it that exactly angered these men? Well, notice a few things here in the passage. The first thing is that this is not the first time that the Jews desired to stone Jesus. To put him to death. In fact, so far, two other times in Scripture we've seen in the book of John. The first one being in John chapter 5. And Jesus, there in John chapter 5, is making the claim that he was equal with God. And John tells us, we just read that. John tells us they desired to kill him. It, it, was, it was Jesus' claim that led them to this anger that led to them desiring to kill him. The second time was in John chapter 8. And remember what Jesus claimed there. He said, I am, before Abraham was, I am. And, and he takes on the name of, the very name of Jehovah God for himself. He claims to be one with God there and they desire to kill him. And here we get to John chapter 10 and it's the exact same claim, is it not? That he is equal with, equal with God and that is what leads them to desire to kill him. So notice that it's not the first time. Here's the second thing you should notice. And it's important to understand the nature of the accusation. Why is it that they desire to kill him, at least by their own confession? Why are they going to put him to death? Verse 32, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the father. From which of them are you going to stone me? Right? That doesn't make much sense. Jesus, you've, you've healed the blind, you've, you've healed the lame, you've healed the sick, you've, you've fed the 5,000, you've, you've done a lot of good things for people. Like, why in the world 
Jesus is saying, would you be angry at me for doing these good things? He knows why they're angry. But verse 30, verse 33 says, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Now, a couple things that you should note about that. Number one, in Jewish law, blasphemy was the act of speaking irreverently or disrespectfully about God himself. So Leviticus chapter 24 says that whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All of the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So if Jesus is in fact guilty of blasphemy, then he was guilty of violating God's law. The problem is, the thing that Jesus is doing, claiming to be God, is not at all the definition of blasphemy. They're accusing him something of uh, something that, that's not even a violation of the law. And this is why Jesus responds in verse 34, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? And God says this. God calls people God's. Now, we don't have time to unpack all that that means, but basically the idea is that these are people who are acting on behalf of God. They are wielding his authority, his his judgment, his his um, authority over men in, in the nation. And, and he's calling them God's in, in the sense that they rule under his authority. So just simply to claim the name of God or to claim to be a God, little g God, is not is not a violation of God's law. It's not blasphemy. Furthermore, this is not just any man. This is the very Son of God who is in fact God. He's not at all guilty of blasphemy. And Jesus says, have I not proven that to you? Verse 37, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. Even the crowds themselves said no one has ever done the things that this man can do. No one has ever raised the dead. No one has ever healed the sick. No one has ever fed this kind of crowd with such little amount. This is not, this is not possible apart from God being with him. Yet notice that despite his argument, despite them claiming something that could in nowhere in human reasoning be true, they were still angry. So that's the second thing to notice. Here's the third thing to notice. It's important that we realize that we're not in the Old Testament in this passage. We're here in the first century. You're not in Leviticus. And even in the Old Testament, there certainly would have been a trial. You, you don't pick up a stone for someone who makes a statement and automatically begin hurling stones at him. And certainly here in Roman culture, there was a need for a trial. The, the wielding of execution was purely in the hands of the Roman government. It's not something they could have just done. So this isn't a legal action. They're not acting in obedience to God's law. They're acting in an emotional response. It's an angry mob. And if they can't be angry that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, that He claimed to be the Son of God, one with God, if they, if they can't be angry because His works prove that, why is it that they are so angry? 
It's not the violation of God's law that angered them. It's the claim itself. Now watch this. When he says, I and the Father are one, that means Jesus is claiming the same sovereign authority that the Father has. The one whom they commanded all of Israel to bow down to. And if Jesus, don't miss it, if Jesus is in fact God in human flesh, it means that He has the same sovereign authority over not just them, but all people. If Jesus is God, then that angers them. Because that doesn't fit in their box. It doesn't fit their plans. They don't get to do what they want to do. They don't get to tell Jesus how this thing's going to go. The only response to a sovereign, holy God, especially when He's standing before you face to face, is to bow down. And that posed a threat. So what angered them? It was the Lordship of Jesus Christ that angered them. It's the Lordship of Jesus that made them angry. Church, can I tell you that the biggest stumbling block for the unbelieving heart is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is the very thing that is missing in so many of our churches. It is the very thing that is missing in the hearts of so many professing believers who have believed a story and said a prayer and gone through some religious actions, but Jesus has not been made Lord of their life. You see, if I were to offer you heaven this morning, if I offer you heaven, what person in this room, in their right mind, would say, Nah, I think I'll pass. If I were to offer you forgiveness of sins this morning, what person in this room would, would say, ah, that's okay, I'll pass. If I were to offer you blessings and prosperity from God, what, what person in this room would pass? But if I were to say to you that following Jesus, being a Christian, demands that you submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we don't have as many volunteers. That's exactly what's happening in this text. What separates a believer from an unbeliever is what they do with the Lordship of Jesus. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? Follow me. Sheep follow the shepherd. And it was the Lordship of Jesus that made them angry. They didn't want anyone telling them what to do. And so the core truth of this passage is this. Faith in Jesus results in submission to His Lordship. Faith in Jesus results in submission to His Lordship. You cannot divorce Lordship from salvation. 
You can't say, Jesus, I, I want to go to heaven. <laughs> I, I want to I have all of the benefits of being a Christian, but I'm unwilling to obey you in any area that you've called me to. Or, or maybe even casually, a few things, the big things, Jesus, I'm going to do, but my life is basically mine. If there's anything I know about Donna Carr and our conversations together, I can tell you one thing, that Jesus was not a part of her life. Jesus was her life. Jesus changed everything about her. The same should be true of every believer on the face of the planet. That Jesus is not just part of our lives. That Jesus is all to us. That everything we are is for Christ. And everything that we have is given to Christ. And, and we are His in order that He might be glorified. That He's Lord. This is the truth that is not talked about often in the church. And there are many believers who have called themselves Christians, but they have little regard for the Lordship of Jesus. Or worse yet, there are many who claim the name of Christ who become very angry and agitated and rise up against and make excuses for and justify their lives in light of what God has called them to do rather than humbly submitting themselves to the Word of God. Believer, can I tell you this morning that Jesus is not just Savior. He is Lord. And belief, biblically, if we are going to define what it means to believe the Gospel and we're going to do so honestly and biblically, it means that we must turn from sin and turn to Christ. And that means that we don't pick up the stones to throw at Jesus every time He tells us something that doesn't fit into our lives. It means that we put down the stones and submit to Jesus and everything that He tells us to do. Listen to how the text ends. I love this. It says, He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him, no doubt having heard the story, no doubt having heard the events. The, you know, you think about America and how quickly news travels when we have social media and everything else now. Imagine when you live in a much smaller town. Everybody knows your name. And they hear of what has happened. And verse 41 says that they came to him and they said, John did not, did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And it says that they believed. See, there's a contrast. This is how John defines belief. John the Baptist preached to you and he didn't do any signs and he told you about one who was coming who's greater. And Jesus comes and he proves himself to be this man. And, and at the end of that, the only response you have is to completely submit your life to believing and following Jesus. Isn't that the direct opposite of the response of the Pharisees? Instead of making excuses and finding all of the reasons why and seeking to put Jesus out of their lives and to silence His message, the crowd humbly responds. It's the same conclusion that the Apostle Paul came to. When you think about Paul and his ministry, I think sometimes we look at Paul and, and we see him as a, as a hero of the faith who we could never attain to. And, and this, is, this is superstar Christianity. I'm just little old me over here. But Paul talks about this idea of submitting to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says the love of Christ controls us. Not just Him. Us. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all. Therefore all have died. And He died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for Him who for their sake died and was raised. 
all my life for Jesus, he says. Same thing in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I ask you a question this morning? Just in the honesty of your heart in these moments here before God's people, but ultimately before him. Can you say in your life that you are in total honesty? That you are 100% submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In every area. Your thoughts. Your plans. Your possessions. Your choices. Your marriage. Your singleness. Children, students, your school, your home. Are you 100% submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? See, the Christian answers that question in this way. Pastor, I don't know if I'm sure about that. I, there's days I, I, I mess that up. But the Christian answers it in this way. You show me a way and I want to submit that to Christ. God, you tell me in your word what I'm to do and I want to do that. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but there's nothing in me that's going to dig my heels in the sand in stubbornness like a sheep out in the midst of this this wandering field saying, I'm just going to stay out here because I like this better. That's not the way the Christian responds. The Christian is not content to simply go into the sheepfold now and again and look like one of the other sheep. The Christian says, "I, I don't want to leave the shepherd." I want to keep following Jesus. I want to do everything that He calls me to do because I know the dangers that are out in this world and I know I'd starve to death apart from Jesus and I know I wouldn't have anything apart from Jesus so I give everything that I am. You see, Jesus is Lord. This is what it means for Jesus to be Lord of our lives. Are you 100% in total honesty submitted to the worship of Jesus? There are... Three things that you need to hear about what it means to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. That I, I just, I, I want these three things from this passage to just settle in on your heart. Because you, you get hold of these three things. Then by God's Holy Spirit, there will be no other place you can turn but to the one who is Lord of all. So three things. Number one. Jesus is Lord. You say, Pastor, you've already said that. No, listen, listen to me closely. Jesus is Lord. That's what he says in verse 30. He said, I and the Father are one. And the entire rest of the paragraph is bent on proving that he's not And it fails. In fact, since the very beginning of time, man has tried to dethrone God from his rightful place of sovereignty and rule over the universe. Do you remember? Even all the way back to the garden, Tower of Babel, you can just trace it all the way through. God's people, the the mankind has said, I want to be king. And right here in this passage, the same thing is happening again. 
Jesus, you're blaspheming the name of God. And yet they're not serving him. The men try to step up and prove that his, prove that he's not God by his own works. His healing on the Sabbath. Men try to step to the law. You've broken the law. Men try to kill him, to stop him. They're looking every way they can to get out of Jesus being God. Because if Jesus is God, then they have to submit to Him. See, if Jesus is just a good teacher, that's all well and good. You can just you can have a good friend in Jesus, right? You can get some good, wise advice from Jesus. If, if Jesus is a friend and a helper, then great. You've, you've, got a, you've got somebody on your side who's fighting for you and all those things. But if Jesus is God, you can't ignore Him. You can't turn away from Him. The only thing you can do is bow before Him because He's King of heaven and of earth. And so they try to dethrone Him. But understand what Jesus said in verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. Unequivocally. There is no sense in which you can dethrone Jesus. I think American Christians need to hear this once again. There is no sense in which we can be king of our lives. As hard as we try and as much as we struggle. Nor can any other human king be our savior. Jesus is king on his throne and nothing in heaven or on earth could ever change that. He is Lord. In fact, I love this verse. Even after they thought they had done away with Jesus. Right? They kill Him. <laughs> they, they want to erase Him from the planet. Peter says, after He's risen from the dead, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst. By the way, the same people that are here in this passage, Peter's preaching to, he says, you yourselves know this. You've seen it. Verse 23, this Jesus, by the way, you thought it was just you putting him to death. No, he was delivered over according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Even in your murdering him, God was sovereign. And watch this. You crucified and killed By the hands of lawless men, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus can't be dethroned. He is Lord. Capital I-S, Lord. And so I want you to understand this morning, as you think about the Lordship of Jesus, That contrary to popular expression, you don't make Jesus the Lord of your life. Jesus is the Lord of your life. It doesn't mean that He is Savior of your life, but He is Lord because He's Lord over every life. No, the only thing that remains is that we must confess Him as Lord of our life. We must submit to His Lordship. Now, you can spend your whole life kicking against Him. You can spend your whole life rebelling against God and you can go into eternity saying, I don't want God. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man in the end it leads to destruction. I promise you, King Jesus will have his victory because he is Lord. 
But there's a second thing that you need to understand about the Lordship of Jesus. Because it's not just power wielded over us. And, and I think sometimes we, we get this, this imbalanced view of who God is. We think either A, God is all love and, and He's all grace and He's all mercy and, and God would never send anybody to hell and that is false. That is not biblical. On the other hand, we get this view of God that He is this mighty tyrant crushing all of these people that, that refuse to obey Him. And, and that's not it either, yet. We have a God who is righteous in His judgment and pure in His love. And that leads to seeing Jesus in this shepherd picture once again. And that the Lordship of Jesus is not just a reality, it is good. It's good. Jesus' lordship is good. It's good. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many, what kind of works? Good works. And and what they try to do from that point is divorce the good things that Jesus was doing from the reality of His sovereign authority. And what Jesus is showing in His life and ministry is that to follow Him is not a bad thing. It's not a thing to be hated. To submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is a good and desirable thing. Because He's good. You've got at least two conditions of the people in this passage. You have the onlooking crowds who are listening to Jesus, who are no doubt tired, burdened by the political oppression that was their day. Rome putting this power over them and taxation and all those things. And and the religious oppression that was coming from the temple court. All All of these rules that none of them had any hope of following and just on and on and on and on. And Jesus is saying, no, you follow my voice. It's a good thing. There's a danger of seeing the lordship of Jesus as an authority that's like all of these human authorities that's just trying to tell you what to do and force you into this box and make your life as miserable as possible. But that's not the leadership of our Savior. What He does, He does for our good. The other group that is hearing this is, of course, the Pharisees, a a prideful heart, a heart that wants power, that wants authority, that wants control, wants autonomy, doesn't want to be told what to do. Can I tell you that we are in America as Christians, we are in a very dangerous place to live as a Christian, not because we face persecution, but because we take what is freedom politically and turn it into autonomy from God. We are not autonomous creatures. We are free, but we are not autonomous. We have a king. And the danger is that we in our pride would reject the authority of the Savior, the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords because we think it to be a bad thing. And what Jesus is saying is, no, this is a good thing. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Jesus' lordship in your life is good. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. And then he says it again, verse 37, if I'm doing the works of my Father, then 
if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. He says, but if I do them, then even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. The same God who led them through the wilderness, the same God who cared for them, shepherded them, the same God who provided for them, the same God who loved them with an undying love has given them his son. We sang about it this morning, didn't we? The goodness of God. I could sing an eternity about the goodness of our God. It's a good place to be under His Lordship, under His care, under the leading of a shepherd. It might look better to be free from Him. It might look better to have the, the, the field and the, the meadows that are apart from Jesus. The grass might look better there. But understand that there are dangers Spiritual dangers. The world is filled with spiritual dangers and it is not green grass apart from Him. It is a spiritual wasteland apart from Him. His authority is not something to be hated. It is something to be treasured and we should enjoy following the shepherd. Jesus' Lordship is good. Third, not only is Jesus Lord and His Lordship good, the Lord Jesus saves. He saves. This picture here on the other side of the Jordan, verse 40, many came to Him and they confessed that they believed who Jesus was. Everything that was said about Him was true. And verse 42 says that many believed in Him there. In other words, they became the evidence of what Jesus said in Chapter 10 and verse 14. When he first started talking about being a shepherd, he said, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus said, I'm a good shepherd and and I'm going to lay down my life. And he wasn't going to do it in the way that an earthly shepherd would. He, He was going to go to a cross. Not, not a death that was threatening because of some outside influence, but a death that was threatening because of our own rebellion and our own sin against Him. And He goes to the cross in order to satisfy the wrath of the, of the Father against us. He, the only Son, we who were not sheep, He calls us into His fold and He makes us sheep by laying down His life for us. And then he says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. You see, the Lord Jesus is saving. He, he calls people to himself to become followers. And he says here in the middle of chapter 10, that's not over And the end of chapter 10 actually becomes the demonstration of it. Because more people believe. Can I tell you that that has not stopped for 2,000 years? The shepherd is still saving. He's still saving. It means that even the one who is lost and is far out as he could possibly be, as she could possibly be, Because He is Lord Shepherd, there is no place to which you can run that is too far for God to save you. 
Is that not good news this morning? Because I have run far. But the shepherd keeps pursuing me and he will continue to pursue you. And the glorious news of this is that if you still have breath here this morning, you can turn to the shepherd, submit to his lordship, and he will save you right now today. I want to invite you to do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed all across this room. We have an incredibly gracious shepherd who will save you right now today. Or maybe you're one of those sheep and, and you're hearing the voice of God. And this morning you need to respond in, in obedience and submission to what He's calling you to do. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning that He's Lord not just one, in one area of your life, but every area of your life. And, and today you want to submit to Jesus. The, the glorious news is come, come to Christ. He is Lord of all. Today He is, he is desiring to lead you in a way that is good and right. He loves you and He's willing to save you. He's willing to restore you. We have a good shepherd who is Lord. One with the Father. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a few moments when we stand, this altar is going to be open. You're going to be given opportunity right where you're standing to confess your Faith in Jesus and your submission to Him as Lord of your life. So right where you are in just a few moments, I want to encourage you to do that. Jesus, I know You died for me. You're my shepherd. You rose again and I give You my life, Jesus. Everything that I am. I turn from my sin. I follow You. Whatever You want me to do, I'm willing to do because You're my Lord and my Savior. So if that's you in just a few moments where you're standing, I want to invite you to come. Step out of that place. Walk down this aisle today. Confess Christ before men. Pastor, today I want to be saved. I'm following Jesus today. Will you lead me to the shepherd? I'll do that today, right now, today. In just a few moments, you come. Others in this room, maybe you just need to come for another reason. The altar's open. You respond to the voice of the shepherd in obedience. Would you stand with me all across the room? I'm going to pray for you. And our invitation is going to begin. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would have your way in this place and in our hearts. That you would be honored. That we would hear your voice. And that we would follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. The altar is open as Dylan leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Christ.